Good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. That was loud. You know, it's a cold and rainy morning, but I'm encouraged this morning in catechism. I think we had more people in there this morning than I think we've had to date. And it's just encouraging to see God's people, brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, the saying, iron shoppers iron, but that takes work. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be exploring Paul's letter into the, with the church in Philippi. What we are looking this morning is how to work out spiritually and focus our spiritual routine by working out what God has worked in us. We're going to cover two short but very profound verses. So stand with me and let's dig in truth by truth in God's Word and read the verses together. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you for both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Please be seated. In America, there are tens of thousands of gyms and health clubs with over a quarter million personal trainers working in these various facilities. It's estimated uh, by polls I was looking up this week that there are over 87 million people uh, living in the U.S. that have a gym membership. And it's also estimated that a billion dollars is spent on unused gym memberships. So over 75% of the individuals who join gyms or other uh, uh, workout facilities simply don't go or they'll quit after just a few short months. They may have started with good intentions, maybe something of a New Year's resolution. Uh, you know, many may have had the urge to exercise, but they probably laid down and waited for that feeling to pass. <laughs> but here's the truth, though. We cannot be passive in spiritual affairs. When it comes to our spiritual health, we must exercise our faith. We need to work out what God has worked into us. And that's the power of this passage, these two short verses in chapter 2 of Philippians. For believers and followers of Jesus Christ, Christianity is more than a decision to make Jesus your Savior. It's also a determination to walk with Jesus as the Lord of your life, as your Master. If you don't do that, you're going to become what we've talked about in this church and sadly what many uh, in, in the American Christianity and around the world think, it, it, more so in this country, lukewarm Christians. Another term I found for this, pew potatoes. That's the spiritual equivalent of a couch potato. They're simply pew potatoes. Time and again we hear people say, God is working in me, man. God's working. He's doing great things. You know, and, 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 and that's encouraging. However, that doesn't mean you can just, you know, hang out. It doesn't mean let go and let God. Let go of what? Let God do what? Let go of your selfish wants, your will, and let God work His purpose into your life, into your heart. But that takes action on our part. By looking at these two verses in Philippians this morning, we're digging into God's Word for us, as, and we're presented with some decisions to make if we're going to have a great workout. The first thing this morning, know who your trainer is. The first word in the, verse 12 is what? Therefore. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my, pre not only in my presence, but even more so in my absence, 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Whenever Paul uses a, a, a therefore in his letters, and by the way, this is the third time in this chapter alone he's done this, what he is doing is revisiting something he's already told us. What he has been talking about is Jesus Christ, He who humbled Himself and was exalted by God. Simply put, what He is saying here, Jesus is our example. He is our spiritual trainer. And that has been Paul's thrust for this entire chapter so far. Jesus being our example. And good examples set a standard, don't they? And sometimes it's hard to watch a good example because they set a standard for us that either we find hard to maintain or reveal to us how bad we really are in ourselves. And what if that example isn't just a good example, but the perfect example? I mean, Paul is saying here, Jesus, look what He's done. Do that. A good example can inspire us. It can incentivize us. And that's the thought of Paul's use of this word, therefore, at this particular time. When he says, therefore, in this verse, he's saying on the basis of Jesus Christ, on the basis of Jesus' example of love and humility, do this. Work out your salvation He has given you. So a good trainer will help you get the most out of your workout. And who can you think of a better trainer in all things spiritual than Jesus Christ? It is recorded numerous times throughout the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus said two, but very profound words. Follow me. Follow me, Jesus said. He didn't say follow my people. He didn't say follow my disciples. He didn't say follow my preachers, my pastors. He didn't say, follow my small group leaders. Jesus said, follow me. Even when Jesus washed people's feet like the disciples during the Last Supper, He was washing their feet because they couldn't be bothered with it. They were arguing about who, and I've talked about this before, who's going to be the greatest among them in the kingdom. So Jesus gets down and washes their feet. Humble, servitude, and humility. And then He said to them, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. And don't get me wrong, it is good to have other examples, we might say, of integrity and honor that we can follow. Paul was one of those. He said to his brothers and sisters, though, follow me as I follow the Lord. But just like us, Paul too was a sinner saved by grace. But the real key to spiritual growth is beginning with the right template. And for the Philippians, for Paul, and for us, that model was, is, and always will be Jesus Christ. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence, only when I'm with you, but much more in my absence, absence, work out your own salvation. You know, what a beautiful description Paul is giving us here of this group of Christian believers in Philippi. The word he uses here, obeyed, is the same word he used in Ephesians 6 when he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Just as a child is responsive to a parent, the Philippians were responsive to Paul's spiritual leadership. But now they have a problem. Paul is in jail. He's incarcerated. He's in Rome. They don't have Paul around any longer showing them and guiding them. But they still have the example of Jesus Christ. And that was Paul's point. Whether I'm with you or not, therefore, obey. Therefore, do this. Paul is pointing them back to Jesus as their ultimate model for them in their lives. There's a fundamental principle to be found here. And I think something we should all take heed of. A real test of spiritual maturity is how we live when all the comforts are gone. When you don't have anybody there to tell you what to do or how to do it, who do we look to? 
Paul's in jail saying, I'm absent from you. But he's telling these people, Jesus is present with you. Think about those around us at work. Some people work very hard when the, hard when the boss is looking. Most bosses or a good boss can figure out pretty quickly which of those people are. When they come around, the employee sits up or puts that phone down and you know, they're like, no, I'm not playing on Facebook or Instagram. What can I do for you? I'm here. I'm here to work. I'm all about work. But they're that way only when they think the eye of the boss is on them. I believe what Paul is saying to them, your boss, he's always watching. He's always looking. Whether I'm here with you or not, Jesus is always there. Charles Spurgeon, I shared this uh, on Facebook earlier this week. But Charles Spurgeon was quoted as saying, if you desire Christ for a perpetual guest, give him all the keys of your heart. Let not one cabinet be locked from him. Give him range over every room and the key of every chamber. So make sure, you're, make sure Jesus is your personal trainer, your template, your model. Another thing to take into consideration if you're going to have a great workout is you've got to pump some iron. You've got to get in there and you, you've got to work it out. Therefore, my beloved, have, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this has been a problem verse taken out of context for a very long time. What does Paul mean, work out your own salvation? What he is saying here is maintain constant energy and effort to finish out the task. Many people think this is self-help, self-help salvation, that I'm going to work really hard to get saved. Sort of the equivalent that God helps those who help themselves. They may believe if I work hard, if I earn my way there, if I tithe enough, if I go to church enough, that God is going to save me. And sadly, this is how most people think you get saved. Ask someone, or even the average person, a neighbor, someone at work, how, how are you going to heaven? Are you saved? Many of them are going to tell you, well, I'm trying. I go to church. They usually point to something they have done uh, or how they're working hard to earn God's favor. Faith is a muscle. It has to be exercised. That faith is in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is saving grace, whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation, trusting Him to forgive our sins and guide us to eternal joy on the basis and solely on the divine power and atoning death, not of our own works. You can't work out what God has not first worked in. Notice Paul says, work. he doesn't say work for your salvation. He doesn't say work out your salvation. He says work out your salvation. Paul is not writing to unbelievers here, but he's writing to believers. Work out your own salvation. He is saying in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Philippians in the church of Philippi, you are saints in Christ Jesus. This is a group of believing people. Those are believing people, not unbelievers. He's telling believers, you have to work out. You have to pump some iron. You have to do something. You have to apply some sort of energy into this process. And again, you have to work out what God has worked in you. You know, work it out. What does that mean? Let's say you go to a doctor and you have an exam. And the doctor gives you a diagnosis and says you're going to need surgery. He schedules the surgery and he performs the operation. Now you're in post-op and he says you're going to need rehabilitation and you're going to need meds. So effectively, the doctor's done it all. He's given you the diagnosis, performed the operation, given you the meds, and now he's given you a rehabilitation schedule. And at this point, you need to work it out. You need to show up for rehab. You need to go through those exercises. 
You need to take that medication and follow orders. So there must be a cooperation with the doctor's operation. You, you, the New Living, Transla uh, New Living Translation translates this verse as, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So we must put into action God's saving work in our lives. God has done all the work. It takes energy, though, to grow as a believer, to mature. This is written about all over the Bible. In 2 Peter chapter 1, I love this. Therefore, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us, whereby are, get, or whereby are given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that by these you may be a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is the world through lust. So, so far, so good. God's provided it all, but listen to what He says after that. Therefore, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance. Spiritual growth is not accidental. You don't wake up one morning, you know, have your wife look in the mirror and say, hey, you know, I'm so mature. Spiritual growth, it's intentional. It's not accidental. Spiritual maturity is a cooperation with God's divine operation. We're never told in the Bible to lounge in the Spirit to sit back, sit back and relax with a tall glass of sweet tea. It says, walk in the Spirit. That means you actually have to cooperate by putting one foot in front of the other and engage in the process of working out something that has been worked in. Another thing we need to do, or a choice we need to make, is follow a personal plan God has for each of us. Notice that Paul, when he writes, work out your own salvation. Now, if you go to a personal trainer at the gym, that trainer's not going to just, if they're any decent trainer, a uh, one-size-fits-all training schedule for you. They're going to ask you questions. Uh, you know, when do you want to work out? How long can you commit to the workout? How many days a week? Do you want to do cardio along with weight training? They're going to find out those things, and they're going to tailor-make a routine especially for, fit for you. So work out your own salvation. You have your own relationship with the Lord. Don't attempt to be a cheap imitation of someone else. Follow God's plan for you. Just as two snowflakes are not exactly alike, what makes us think two Christians are going to be exactly alike? It should amaze and humble us to see God draw all sorts of people with different gifts, talents, interests, personalities, and so on to share in one Lord. It's interesting that Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 speaks about people among them who were bragging and boasting. And Paul writes, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. So God, follow God's personal plan for your life. Those things that He's given to you and blessed you personally. Not only be what God made you to be, but don't worry about, don't meddle in, and don't concern yourself with God's personal plan for everybody else. That becomes a problem with some. They're so worried about what everyone else is doing, and are they as good as I am, or is doing as much as I am, or am I doing as much as them, or is, am I as good as they are? There's somebody in the Bible that was like this, and his name was Peter. Peter blew it. You know, most of us know the story. He denied Jesus three times. After the resurrection, Jesus had a personal gathering with the disciples and had a personal encounter with Peter. And you follow along the screen, but in John chapter 21, verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me, or do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, 
you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. Know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, dressed yourself and went there you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said, to, said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that disciple whom Jesus loved was also following them. This was one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread amongst the believers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? So here is Peter literally being restored to service. And he starts noticing John standing around and, you know, Peter's over there saying, you know, Jesus, what about him? What about this guy? And I love Jesus' response, though. If I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? You see, what he's telling Peter and to us here is don't worry about him. Don't worry about what I'm doing with that person. Follow me. I've got a plan for you. Follow me. Now, most of our problems come not when we're looking ahead, but most of our problems, when we stop and we start looking around, we linger. You know, uh, remember the story of David and Bathsheba. The problem wasn't that David saw Bathsheba bathing. It was that he stopped and he lingered. Hebrews 12 tells us that we should run a race. And he said, look unto, finish it out. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, look to him. If you're running a race, and if you're running in this direction but looking in that direction, what's going to happen to you? We're going to fall. If you're concentrating on something else that is not where you're going, you will fail. So work out your own salvation. Follow God's personal plan for your life. Another thing to be cautious of is flexing in the mirror. And look how Paul puts it. Work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. There's always that person in the gym who loves the mirror. You know, they get close enough not just to make sure they're doing it right, but to see how that muscle flexes and that others may be noticing that they're doing it right. And then, you know, kind of looking around, making sure everybody's noticing them. Don't flex in the mirror. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You may be spiritually more mature than others, but you need to maintain humility. Have a tender conscience toward God with fear and trembling. Many people think, that, you know, this is strong language, fear and trembling. You know, society that we live in would argue against this notion. But for believers, this is a nervous and trembling anxiety in regards to the Almighty God to do right in His eyes. It's in Isaiah 62 where God Himself says, On this one I will look on him who is poor and of a, con a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. In other words, God notices people that have the fear of the Lord. That reverential awe, not based on reprisal, but based on a relationship. We want to make sure that we, what we do is pleasing to the Lord and that we aren't hurting his heart. 
That's how we should live our lives, in that fear of the Lord. For God, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. You can't work something out from you that God hasn't worked first in you. So this idea that of work out what God has worked in is a very important relationship. You might put it this way. Work hard and obey and serve God because He is energizing your work. His divine spirit is at work in us. Think of it like this. And I, and I tried to find uh, an example to kind of bring, but when I was younger, I used to love going to Disney. We lived probably 30, 45 minutes away. And I remember in Tomorrowland, they had these really cool moving sidewalks. I mean, you kind of see them at the airports now, but you would basically get on one end of the sidewalk and there would be people walking on the other side, but you're just zipping by them at you know, half your speed, but just moving. But the idea behind this is, so that sidewalk, that walkway, helped me go faster than I could on my own. That combination of my walking and the walkway moving, thrusting me forward, that's the thought here. Work out your own salvation because God is working in you. You know, like that futuristic sidewalk that I remember as a child. I was working, but I was really cooperating with a greater power that in- enabled me to reach my destination. But notice how Paul puts it. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You know what that means? God will give you the desire to do his will. And we should all have that desire for a deeper relationship with God. We all have that, had those times that maybe we think we don't pray enough or we want a deeper and better prayer life. We want to get involved. Maybe I'm not as involved with church as I should be. These desires come from the Lord. Psalm 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. This is often misinterpreted as well. I'm going to think good thoughts about God, and He'll give me whatever my little heart desires. I desire this, so God has to give me that. No, He doesn't. It doesn't mean that. It means delight yourself in the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God, and God will actually plant in your heart the desire that is right desire, His desire. He'll give you that desire. He plants those longings in us. So let God work you you in His heart, in your heart, His desires, and He'll work through you, His plan and His purpose. You can have a great workout, but you can't do it by yourself. You can only work out what God has first worked in. And again, God gives us those desires. He gives us this power to pull it off through His Spirit. We can try and be good Christians, but our trying isn't enough. We need to walk out our circumstances by faith, not by our own effort, but through the power of the Spirit. Our Christian lives are not lived out by our efforts alone. It's that fear and trembling. It's going before God and saying, I can't, but you can. It's admitting our weaknesses and finding our strength in Him and being thankful that we are part of His grand design. And let us always remember and maintain that fact, even with our own efforts, it takes the power of Him to accomplish His will and not our own. And I'd like to invite the worship team back to the stage that closes the song this morning, but I know this message is more geared towards believers, you know, those saved by grace. But salvation is for all who freely come to the Father and repent and believe. You know, uh, I, we shared this in catechism class this morning, but there was a, a quote I saw um, last week in Pigeon Forge as Ashley and I were driving home. But it said, uh, no candle, or referring to uh, saints, you know, we are the lights of the world. It said, no candle ever lost a thing by sharing its flame with another. 
If you're saved by grace, are you sharing that candle? Are you sharing that flame? Are you giving others what God has given you? You know, we should always present ourselves with that humble and reverential awe, that fear and trembling that we're talking about here in Philippians this morning. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, first and foremost, we pray for the lost, that our actions, our desires do nothing less than glorify your name and point others towards your son, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we find reconciliation with you. And we find that peace that Paul is talking about here. Lord, forgive us where we fail you. And just be with us as we go about our days and our lives. And I pray that more will come to you and dig deeper in the word to build that relationship, that, that trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Stand with us as we worship.